Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Gospel Attic Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. I'm joined with my co-host, Randy Nickel. Randy and I have done these podcasts, many of these podcasts. So today we have a special kind of interview. One of the things we like to do occasionally is interview people whose lives have been changed by the gospel and people who have also just seen the gospel do a work in amazing ways. And so we have that privilege today with Tom Hammond. And just on a side note, I think Tom was served with Young Life for many, many years. And I came to know Christ through Young Life when I was 16 years old at a camp called Frontier Ranch. And that was where I made the decision to first follow Jesus. And I think Tom was the guest speaker for that week, or he was the speaker who shared the gospel with with me. So I'm so grateful for his faithfulness and his ministry. And it's just a blessing to have him on the podcast. And so, Randy, I'm going to turn it over to you because you know Tom a lot better than I know him. Thanks, Greg. It's great to be with you. And um, I'm really excited to have the chance to in, uh, introduce to everyone uh, my friend and mentor, Tom Hammond. Tom, um, of uh, people that have impacted my walk with Christ, I would put Tom first and foremost on that list. Uh, Tom was all, my young life leader in high school. And then I had the privilege for Tom to be my boss uh, in ministry for um, 25 years, probably something like that. Tom, um, when I was in high school, announced that he was leaving and moving from where we lived to another city in Ohio and going to work with Young Life there. And that night I went home and opened my Bible. And as teenagers sometimes may do, I opened my Bible randomly to a verse. And that night, as I was reading in my bed, the verse was Hebrews 13, 7, which says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so a big part of my life is to be remember my leader, Tom, who spoke God's word to me and imitate his faith. And so um, Tom has served in young life in many positions. One of the most recent, uh, not a few years back, he was the director of young life in the United Kingdom, Scandinavia and Ireland. And uh, that's how I ended up in Scotland with Young Life was through Tom. So I have heard the stories uh, that Tom has told over the years. Tom is one of the gifts about Tom, Greg, is he is maybe he's a master storyteller. And so um, that's a great gift. And so Tom has told stories and some of them I, I can give him a cue. One of my seminary professors was also one of Tom's roommates. And when you listen to the people that lived in this a house together. It's incredible what God did with that. But I um, I may at times just suggest, hey, Tom, tell this story because there have been stories that impacted my life. But as Greg and I started talking about it, we thought it'd be really cool to hear the stories of kind of what happened in the late 60s in our country with something called the Jesus Movement. And um, it was a short time. It wasn't all good. I mean, there was a lot of rough things going on in our country at the time. 
uh, and it was, you know, the counterculture and the drug culture and sexual revolution and all those things were happening. But there was also this huge uh, revival that took place. And specifically, uh, I think teenagers and people in their 20s, Tom, I I mean, I was alive, but I don't remember it the way Tom will. So um, I'm going to turn it over to my uh, one of my dearest friends and my mentor, Tom Hammond. Randy, thank you. And Greg and Randy both. I'm just honored to be here with you guys and to share really a little bit of what I have been allowed to be a part of. I don't I feel like I was a very have been a very small player in a very big thing and just happened to be around at the right time to be a part of some things that the Lord was doing that were just fabulous. Um, to put the late myself and the late 60s into context, I I met Christ in the, in the summer of 1965 while I was in high school. Uh, so then I graduated from high school two years later and went to the University of Pittsburgh. So the late 60s, were my college experience from 67 to 71. And the particular ministry that I was involved in then and continue to be to this day was Young Life. And I was a volunteer leader and then a student staff person. And we saw the Young Life ministry in that particular city just grow exponentially so that we probably had thriving work in over 50 communities. And at the same time as that was going on, there was this thing that became known as the Jesus movement. We were already committed followers of Christ. That came along as we were trying to live our faith out, trying to follow the Lord. And uh, a number of us were living together in a house near the campus of the University of Pittsburgh that was called the Leadership House. And very simply, our boss, the man who ran Young Life there, a man named Reed Carpenter, got a large rental home so that Young Life, male Young Life leaders could live together inexpensively and build great friendships. And that was really happening. And one of the guys who lived there ended up at a Young Life staff conference in San Francisco and encountered the Jesus movement there. And he came home from San Francisco and talked to us about it. And uh, we were were going to college and leading Young Life clubs, and some of us had part-time jobs. And we, based on that new information and kind of what the Lord was already doing, uh, we just decided to pray together a lot. And there was a lot, as, as was mentioned, that was kind of unraveling in the culture at the very time. There were assassinations of leaders and the, there were race riots that, and we had that happen in, in, in the city of Pittsburgh and in most cities. Um, and there was a whole new, the Beatles had come on the scene a few years before and there was drug music and y- you could look at a person in one year and they look kind of standard and middle class and the next year they look like a hippie and everything had changed and there were drugs everywhere. So there was a lot going on. We all had friends who had gone to Vietnam. We, uh, every, every guy was torn about what that might mean if they got drafted. Uh, so there was just a lot going on in the culture and it was unstable. And, uh, 
And as this friend came back, he was talking about this new movement of the Holy Spirit. And we, as a group of guys, and I don't have the exact number in that particular house, there probably were eight or 10 guys in their late teens or early 20s. We just began to pray together that God would move. And uh, uh, the first thing that I remember is that our friend who came back talked about the fact that in California, they had a street newspaper that they handed out. And we thought that that would be something that we would be great in our part of the country. And it was very counterintuitive to the Young Life world where everything that we did was based on relationships and getting to know teenagers where they were. We were not a pass out newspapers kind of group of guys. But we prayed about that and we prayed that the Lord would lead us. And this is is really what happened. Uh, we opened up the yellow pages and a lot of people that are going to watch this podcast won't know what yellow pages were, but that was the very, in, in major cities, that was a very thick directory of businesses. So every business had, and that's where you could get their address and phone number in the yellow pages. And we opened up in the yellow pages to printers. Now this yellow pages was probably an inch and a half, two inches thick. There were hundreds and hundreds of print shops. There were small little corner shops and there were really big enterprises and none of us knew a printer. We had no relationships and no contacts. And we prayed and prayed and opened up the yellow pages where there were hundreds of printers and put our finger on a name and called that shop. And that was, a, it turned out that was the owner was a Christian who had been praying about how to use his shop. And we, although we had never put a newspaper together, the man allowed us to have hundreds of thousands of newspapers printed for free. So that, that is a very clear memory. And I remember driving with friends to his shop and loading up all these newly minted newspapers that we had put together. And it wasn't like we knew anything about putting newspapers together, but we did it. And we began to just pass them out to people. Yes, Greg. Did, first of all, do you have any of those papers to this day? I have one copy. It, I don't have it with me. Yes, I have one copy. The name of and it was what, Liberation. Give us, give us an idea. What was the content of the newspaper, you know? All the content would be something using a lot of contemporary late 60s hip language, uh, but talking about the fact that, that, that people were interested in revolutionaries and people who would have a big impact and that we believe the greatest revolutionary in the history of the world was Jesus. And that, that, that the problem with all the other revolutionaries is they weren't radical enough. That was kind of a theme that we had. Uh, and, uh, and then there would be stories of people who had met Christ. There might be a Bible study. There might be what amounted to a young life message, which would be geared to teenagers that we would write out and put in there. And then there were pictures, lots of pictures. Okay, so you're, you're a college student at this time, right? We were all college students, yeah. Okay, and so in between classes, you're working on this newspaper, and then would you deliver it like like they do at most newspapers, like early in the morning, or you just was it just like random, or was it? Uh... Well, and we were leading Young Life clubs too, so we all had a, a club on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night, and we're 
hanging out with high school kids in our various communities. So uh, speaking personally, and I think for the other guys, our, our studies really suffered. You know, we kind of limped our way through college. There were things that became a lot more important. We passed them out. We stood on street corners. We went to neighborhoods and just gave them to passersby. Um, and, uh, you know, and people grabbed them. And then we opened our home on Saturday nights. We had a big empty basement and we had a Bible study for the city of Pittsburgh. And hundreds of people who had read the papers came. Wow. To find out about Jesus. Hundreds. Hundreds. We had, there was, uh, in fact, we had friends in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, who came, brought a busload up from Chapel Hill. Uh, there were, the charismatic renewal was beginning to happen in the Catholic Church in Western Pennsylvania, and a bunch of newly minted Catholic charismatic nuns came, and then all these street people, the people who, you know, there were, there were twins who showed up who were a little older than us. They might have been 24, 25. They had been, uh, golly, their background was they were state champion sprinters in high school, and then they became hippies and were roadies who set up Woodstock. And they had beards down to their waist and long hair, and they showed up in a 1949 bread truck at our house, broke. And they lived there, and they gave their lives to Christ when they were there. Um, there was a guy who came who was in, there were probably others, who was involved in a street radical organization called the SDS, Students for a Democratic Society, which was committed to the violent overthrow of the United States government. And he became a Christian and went off to seminary. And he's one of my best friends to this day and is very, actually very conservative at this point. But all kinds of people from all, all kinds of backgrounds just showed up. I mean, that just seems so chaotic. I mean, I just can't imagine hundreds of strangers coming to your house. What that must have felt like. Yeah, Randy? Tommy, tell about how you guys would find people to share Christ with. Yeah. Like the Greyhound stations. Okay, well, it, well, it really was chaotic. It was, I, I'll, I will get to Randy's point real quickly, but I woke up one morning and I opened my closet and somebody was sleeping in the closet. Um, uh, we would pray together and then go out and pick up hitchhikers and whoever we picked out, we believed God had led them to us and we would share Christ with them. And I remember numerous occasions, we were college kids and we were broke and guys giving them their wallet and saying, here, take what you want. I don't need it. God will provide for me. You need it. And we'd bring them back over and they'd, they'd stay with us for a while. And, uh, I mean, it was a, it was a revolving door and you never knew who was living there. We took the, it, we lived in two apartments that faced the street. So they had street entry. Um, and we took the locks off the doors of both of them. So anybody could come in and anybody could go out at any point. And uh, one of the results was winter is, is pretty difficult in Pittsburgh. And the, uh, the front door would blow open and we'd wake up and have to shovel the hallway out of snow. <laughs> uh, so, so it, yes, it was chaotic. And we, we found people in, like Randy said, in bus stations and on the street and hitchhikers and uh, people that were down on their luck and every race and all kinds of people. Yeah. 
Okay. And at the same time, you're trying to lead just a traditional like young life club. So you're, you're building relationships with kids at these schools. And then are these two crowds mixing? That's a good question. A lot of our campaign campaigner kids, kids who had come to know Christ would come to our Saturday night Bible study and mix it up with whoever happened to be there from wherever they came from. So uh, I, I can't, in retrospect, that was probably a, the, the winter of 69, 70. I can't believe parents allowed, you know, you're going where and who's going to be there. But we, we, like I said, we had hundreds of people. We couldn't fit them all in the basement. It was, it was just pandemonium. Tommy, tell a story about when the FBI came. Yeah, my, there was a knock at the front door and my friend, Stu and I went to the front door and uh, there was a man in a suit. Now we were not in suits at that point. We were dressed in bell bottoms and had semi-long hair and they were just raggedy looking college students with, you know, certainly didn't have suits in our wardrobe. And this guy with the suit was there and he said he was looking for Bernadine Dorn, who was the number two person on the FBI's most wanted list. So my friend Stu was kind of a smart mouth he said, well, Bernadine's not here, but H. Rap Brown, who was number one on the FBI's most wanted list, is in the restroom. I'll go get him for you. <laughs> and then the guy opened his coat and there were weapons. And it's like, oh, just kidding. <laughs> but who knows who came in and out of our house? We, we, we don't know. There could have been people that were involved in all kinds of trouble. So one of my favorite stories, and... Um, was told by one of my seminary professors a lot. And he talks about it being one of the pivotal moments in his life. But uh, it was a night that you guys decided, well, it kind of happened, I think, Tom, but as yep. I heard the story, but you worshiped all night. Yep. And then talk about where all these guys went from there, like who who they all became in Christ. Well, as I mentioned, we would get back from evening activities whether it was a Young Life Club that we led or whatever we were doing. And about 10, 11 at night, we would, we would pray. We'd read the Bible and pray, and then maybe go to bed at 1230. Well, this night we began to pray, and it just kept happening. And we were praying, and it, it was, uh, I think everybody that was there would say it was like nothing they'd ever experienced before. And I haven't experienced it since. Uh, the Lord, the Lord is always with us. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, but he visited that group that night in a special way. We were not charismatic, but there were people who actually spoke in tongues and there were kind of, we didn't know what we were doing with it, but it happened and there was an interpretation and it was not, once again, that wasn't who we were. I, it wasn't, we were for or against it. It just wasn't who we were. And one of the guys who I believe, we all believe God was speaking through said that the Lord was going to use the people, young men in that room in mighty ways to uh, in, impact the world for Christ. So the, the, the teacher who Randy spoke of uh, has become a world-renowned theologian, is taught all over the world, is involved right now in very delicate talks between uh, sort of behind the scenes between believers in North Korea and South Korea and 
has authored a whole bunch of books and ran the C.S. Lewis Institute in Washington, D.C. One of the fellows became the pastor of a big mega church. Um, uh, other guys went on and had great business careers and really big impact for Christ. Uh, a lot of people just continued to lead very significant Young Life clubs. Uh, so there, there was a lot in terms of looking back on it 50 plus years later that that uh, promise, that that prophecy, if you will, actually did come true. And uh, we were just, you know, almost men. We were young guys. And, uh, and, and we, if you get us together, which that group actually still meets, we get together twice a year. We'll be together in January. Uh, you know, we're kind of walking each other home at this point in life. Uh, but everybody has the same recollection that that night just kind of changed everything. So it sounds like the big thing that was the spark was prayer. Yes. This guy, this guy from California, he, he brought just a, a passion for prayer to you guys. And then you just started doing stuff. You just started spreading the word however you could. Or we I'm could. curious, I'm curious to know, like, was this also, were you noticing this happening among other Christian groups around you? Like it, it's cause it, I I've heard these stories and I know it, it was happening all across the United States. Um, but I'm wondering if you were aware of it or, or were you, the other thing that strikes me is that you're kind of a young believer at this point. So you're probably thinking this is, this is the norm. This is, this is, this is what, uh the normal christian life is like this is you know the you know yeah. um like were you aware that this was like some special um this was that this was not normal this was you know something special were you aware of that at that time or were you just like well i guess this is just the way it is we were kind of knuckleheads we still are <laughs> uh, and we were we were aware of, the, of what we were doing. We were aware because of the connection to. It was called the Christian World Liberation Front in Berkeley, in California. We were aware of that group. Um, we became aware of a group in uh, New York, near. I'm, I'm dropping the name of the town where Cornell is. It was near there, and it was a Christian community called the Love Inn, and a, and a, a guy named Scott Ross was there who ended up being a pretty well-known Christian media person has been on a lot of Christian TV and stuff like that. And I remember driving up there and meeting with those guys. And uh, actually we, we challenged them to a football game and kicked their butts. Uh, but, uh, um, we, but as far as Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, there wasn't, it wasn't like down the street, you were seeing the same thing happening where just hundreds of people were gathering no, we, I, I was not aware of it. We became aware of these, that, that in the Catholic world, and we were all at that point pretty much Protestant guys, that in the Catholic world, there was a charismatic renewal that was, that had gone on in Notre Dame and now was at the Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. Now, simultaneous with this, our boss in Young Life um, had showed us a map of Western Pennsylvania, central and Western Pennsylvania, the state of West Virginia and the state of Ohio. And he said, they're the only place in, on this map that has young life ministry is Pittsburgh. And uh, you guys need to be praying because we're going to open up all the rest and you guys are going to go. 
So we were praying about going to all these places. And uh, from 1969 to about 72, we opened up State College, Pennsylvania, Wheeling, West Virginia, Cleveland, Canton, Toledo, Columbus, Dayton, and Cincinnati Young Life. Uh, and it all happened at about the same time. So groups of people in those places began to be interested. We're all interested in their young people hearing about Jesus as we were praying that God would take us. So these at that age, going to those kind of, those places, which were just really right around the corner and in the neighborhood, in a sense, that felt like we were going to the moon. And we had no idea that the Holy Spirit was moving in all of those places, preparing the way for young life to get started. Wow. And some of those those cities you mentioned, there's there's strong, strong young life ministries there oh, to yeah. this day. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. That is that is amazing. Well, was it like a flash in the pan? Like, did it end as quickly as it started? Or did it feel like it went on for quite some time? It went on for a few years. And of course, we got older and we graduated from college and we got most of us came to work for Young Life. Some didn't. You know, people got married, you know, people moved. Uh, but the groundwork had been laid. There was, uh, I, I think it's a, a Latin word, there was a diaspora. People were sent out all over. And that happened. And it became a little bit culture shock because you'd get to the new place and that same, that same sense of the Holy Spirit moving intensely was not in the new places like it was. And, and, you know, you couldn't bottle it. It wasn't like you could catch lightning in a bottle. I mean, it, the Lord, we just kind of resumed life and then did ministry and ministry grew. But, you know, God had a purpose for what was going on then. And he unleashed and he had, in our case, a group of young men who went places. And it's like, OK, we're ready for another season now. I mean, when you got, so you moved from Pittsburgh when you graduated to Cleveland, Ohio to start yeah. Young Life there. Yeah. yeah. And for those that don't know, when you start a ministry, sometimes it can take years to really see the ministry take hold and get moving and happen. But when you got to Cleveland, something incredible was happening in 1969 and 1970. Um, and I was told there were literally three, 400 kids involved immediately. I mean, is that true? Was that what, what was happening when you moved to Cleveland? Um, I was not the first Young Life person in Cleveland. My good friend Pete Weaver came about nine months before I did. Uh, I came in 71, and there a community on the west side of Cleveland, Bay Village, the, the Combined Ministerial Association invited Young Life to go into the community. That is how Young Life got into the metropolitan Cleveland area. And there's a story in all the other cities, but in Cleveland, it was that group. And my friend Pete went there and uh, I actually brought kids from Pittsburgh while I was still in college up to the first Young Life meeting. I drove up the Pennsylvania and then the Ohio Turnpike and I had kids from my club and some of them were believers and some of them weren't. And I had kids in the van with me who I knew were drug dealers. <laughs> 
who didn't know Jesus yet. In, in fact, in looking back in retrospect, many of them came to Christ. But uh, And I remember driving there, and we showed up at this house on Lake Road in Bay Village, and there were hundreds and hundreds of kids there. And no, we had done no work. It just, they came. And, uh, and then when I graduated from Pitt in early April of 1971, I took my last final at eight o'clock in the morning. I drove to Cleveland. I left at 10 in a car that I wasn't sure was going to make it. I got to Cleveland and met with the principal of Rocky River High School, the school next door, the superintendent of the school, hung out at the school that afternoon and ran club that night. And we had about 100 kids. So, 100 kids? That like, was an overflow had, of the Bay Village group. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Craig. Oh, so you had 100 kids, but you hadn't spent all that groundwork time of building relationships. They just... It, the community was next door to Bay Village. So there was connection there. People knew each other. So there, it wasn't like they just came out of nowhere, but it was still... you you. If you'd have had 20 kids, you'd have thought that was fabulous. If you'd have had 15. And it was just, there was a hunger. Now, there was another piece in Ohio. Um, you guys know that in 1971, 1970. May 4th, uh, 1970. May 4th, 1970, there was the shooting at Kent State where four college students were shot. And one of them was a young woman named Allison Krauss. And Allison was a young life kid from Pittsburgh who was not involved in anything going on. She was just one of the passers-by. She was going to class. I'm sorry? Going to class. I think she was in class and she just got hit by a random bullet, which is... Yeah, but she was a young life kid and they would have all city events in Pittsburgh. I don't recall meeting her, but we were the same age. We were, I'm sure we were at the same things. But in the state of Ohio, and this is my opinion, I, I, it's not like, I mean, I, I think this is very accurate, but it's just my opinion. That event was very chilling, as you can imagine, to the adult community that this happened on a campus that was such a pristine, nice campus. And I think the Lord used that awful event, as he is wont to do, uh, to... to uh, up the ante for Christian adults in communities saying we need something so that kids hear about Jesus. I think it had a statewide effect. And once again, this is just me speaking, but I think that was part of what the Lord used in that particular period of time. Wow. So you, you started the Rocky river young life. Did you do Bay village or no? I, my, my friend Pete left a couple of years later, went back to Pittsburgh, et cetera. And I took over Bay village and was there through the seventies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. At what point, as I recall, at what point did you grow a mustache? Well, I grew it in college and I grew because it. Because every young life leader I knew back then had a mustache. Well, that's a good that's, question. I grew That's it how college. you knew. That's how you knew you had a young life leader. It's like, that's how you could distinguish the young life leader from the students. The young life leader had a mustache. Well, that's a that, that's a good out of left skill question, funny. and it's true. And I grew it because as a college student, I was leading a club, and I 
I was trying to figure out ways that I could look older than the high school kids I was leading who were only a year or two or three younger than me and facial hair seemed to work. So I, I was able to grow a mustache and I did, but almost everybody had one and then uh, they went away. Yeah. But I, and back in like the eighties, you, you still had a mustache, didn't you? I think so. Somewhere in the early eighties, I got rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, I think I remember you with a mustache and Jim Fountain mustache. Yeah. The only one I can't remember with the mustache is KP. I don't recall that he had one, but maybe he did. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That makes sense, though, because a lot of you guys were young and you're trying to lead people. And so, you, yeah, you want to set yourself apart or look older. Yeah. And it was kind of in vogue then. You know, there, there was another thing that happened. I'd be remiss if, if I didn't bring this up in the late, in about 1970, it the the name the Chicago Seven might come might resonate with some people. Some people might not know who they were, but that was a group of young radicals who absolutely broke up and destroyed the nineteen sixty eight Democratic Convention in Chicago, and that made national and world news. And uh, they were on a tour, speaking all over the country, and they had at this point they were in trouble with the law over the illegal activities that they'd done at this convention and they had an attorney a radical attorney named William Kunstler who was much older they were young men and he was an older man and they came to a a, a, a place um, a hall in Pittsburgh to speak to um, Carnegie Hall and we went there with our newspapers because we thought there's going to be a bunch of young people who are looking for answers we've got the answers Jesus is the answer and we were there passing newspapers out and there were probably a couple thousand people in this auditorium hearing them speak. And the long story short, after it was over, we, our group of seven or eight young men, got together with that group of guys and told them about Jesus. And, uh, you know, we, we had Bibles for them and we hugged them and they, a couple of them had tears in their eyes. And there are names that come up now, Tom Hayden, who has been in the news for years and Rennie Davis and people who were part of that group. A lot of those people, a lot of that was kind of memorialized in film, but uh, and those were the times. And I remember the statement that I made earlier that uh, the problem with your radicalism is you're not radical enough. Jesus is the ultimate radical who changes everything on the inside out. And that if you really want change, that's the only person you can look to is Jesus. And they didn't, that stopped them dead in their tracks. Mm. That's that's fascinating. Yeah. I'm sure uh as you uh I mean I've got a couple of questions just you know, we can go we can backtrack too though. Did did the movement just kind of like slowly fizzle out or was it like an abrupt end? Like were you just was there like one day where you're like all of a sudden you realize that whatever that was, it's over. And ministry is a lot harder now. Um, or was it more of just kind of phased out? I think every guy that was in it and in that period, it was all guys. I mean, that was just the historical reality of it there in our group. That was a group of young men. Um, uh, so I can only speak for myself in the context of that group. Um, uh, I don't remember a conscious feeling like, okay, that's over. Uh, 
but clearly things changed and life became more, for lack of a better word, normal. Uh, and once again, we, we got older, uh, we moved, guys got married, a couple guys went to seminary, you know, it was that kind of a thing. And, you know, uh, but the seeds had been sown and an awful lot of new things inside the young life world and way beyond the young life world. It was both hands. It wasn't, this wasn't a, a purely young life thing at all. It was a kingdom of God thing that affected churches and across denominations and across races and all kinds of people. But I, I don't remember any, a feeling of finality, but looking back, things did change. Hmm. Interesting. And then do you feel like, I mean, we're living in some kind of unstable times right now. Do you feel like some of those, uh, you know, you mentioned the instability of the, of the days when you, you, does it, does it seem a little familiar? Like, I mean, like, wow, things are getting un uncertain again. Like this is, this is about, this is what it felt like back when I was, you know, in college. Do you, yeah, you ever, do you ever feel true. that way? Yeah. Oh, I, I, it feels that way all the time. And when I talk with my friends that were part of that, we all have the same opinion. Um, there are things that are different now than then, you know, the media has really changed the immediacy that everybody knows everything immediately that, that, that creates an opinion culture that's really hard to penetrate, but yeah, uh, the, the, the instability is the right word. And the fact that for, if you are young, it is very tough to think optimistically about the future. It was, it kind of was then too, you know, for us, we, we knew guys that were in Vietnam. We knew people that had been killed there and, and, you know, drugs were, drugs probably were always around, but they were, they were so prominent in the culture. Uh, and, uh, that the things that you had been brought up to trust in were stripped away. And that's the way it is now. You couldn't yeah. feel like you had a lot to trust in. And I think, uh, I, th I think that is leaves the Holy spirit, a big, huge opportunity to move in with the only, the only thing, the only being, the only thing in life that is trustworthy. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, you have now been involved in ministry um, from your college days today for more than 50 years. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give folks who are just starting to decide to share Christ with their friends or uh, with students, whether it's college or high school, uh, somewhere around the world? What advice would you give to people just getting going? That's a great question. Um, in in your life in Christ, personally, and in ministry, quite different than the nights when we showed up and all these kids were at club and we didn't know how that happened. That was so unusual. That was not, for the past 50 years, that has not been the norm. Uh, in your personal life in Christ and, and in, in your ministry, I think you generally get rich slowly and quietly. Uh, and... If, if there's two things that have been game changers for me, having a daily personal, real walk with Christ, praying 
uh, not just formal prayers, but praying like you're talking to somebody who's paying attention and understands and pouring yourself out and, and reading and knowing God's word daily. Those disciplines for most believers slip away and their Christian life becomes something that they believe in Jesus, but that intimacy and that personal and daily encounter is in the rearview mirror. And that has made all the difference in the world for me and, and for other people I know. Uh, the other thing is, like I said before, I'm, our group that lived together in college, you know, we'll be together in about seven weeks. I mean, we're, we, we have been friends, we're friends for life. Yoke up with some people who have the same, and, and if you don't have them, pray that the Lord would lead you. People who love Jesus and care about reaching people. And yoke up and hold on to each other for dear life. Those two things, there's a lot, you know, you could write libraries of books, but those two things come to mind. That's great. You shared a lot of personal stories um, from like the Jesus movement time. Do you remember any stories that you heard that were happening uh, like in some of these other places that were just like, just blew your mind? Like um, anything come to mind that, you know, our listeners might find interesting, like something happening New York or California or, or, or through one of your friends, like, um, um, as I mentioned in, in the, in the young life world, we were going to, we were sending people out to these cities and, but the Lord was already moving in those cities. So we, we weren't, boy, this is important. This is exactly what Randy and I encountered in the United Kingdom. We weren't starting anything. The Lord was already at work. And when we got that figured out, everything became a lot more clear and a lot more easy. We were jumping into something that he was already doing. And in the late 60s in Cincinnati, there was a Presbyterian church called College Hill Presbyterian. And uh, they began to have a, a teen breakfast club. It was This was not part of Young Life. There were people in the city who had known Young Life. But that thing grew to 900 kids a week of high school kids from a variety of high schools going to a church for breakfast and then about a 20-minute very abbreviated club where they heard about Jesus and then they had to get into cars and go to all these different schools. And, and that, how did that happen? You can't explain it. It's just the Lord. So that, yeah, that was, that's that amazing. Was a big one. Did you ever, did you ever attend that or did you have friends that attended it? Oh, I knew I did not personally, but I knew a lot of people who went because that became the foundation when, when we decided that we wanted to start young life there. Well, we had, groups of kids in all these high schools already because of this breakfast run by people who had had in other places at other times an affiliation with young life. But, uh, it was just, that's amazing. I cannot imagine 900 kids coming into uh, a church building at, at and this was in, in the morning before, yeah, this was, yeah, before school. Uh, wow. That the is, whole thing is counterintuitive. The whole, everything about it is that'll never work. Right. Wow. Yeah. That is, yeah. that is really cool. Yep. That yep. is amazing. That was a big one. 
That was a big one. When now this is decades and decades later, but a man who has become a, a very, very good personal friend of Randy's and mine named Craig Mawinney, who is in Northern Ireland, when we decided that we were going to go into that country, he was our main contact. And he, the Lord had been preparing him for years. This is probably what, Randy, 12, 14 years ago that we ran into Craig. But God had selected the right man and who had heard about Young Life and was already essentially doing what 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 we would consider to be good Young Life work. And, and uh, God used him, has used him in a similar way to open up those that country and the Republic of Ireland. So, there, he, and, uh, you know, the, in a sense, Craig was waiting for us to show up. And that's a, a more recent iteration of the same kind of thing. Mm. That's really that's a great illustration that so much of ministry is is just um you know looking where God's moving and joining him and and um I love in, in Corinthians it talks about how the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And I think so often our job in ministry is to be in place so that when there's a tear in that veil that has been blinding those people, we're ready. We're there. We're you know, you're ready to share Christ with people. Sometimes, you know, you go to Rocky River and 100 students come out that night. But much more normal is that I plug away for a year or two and uh, hope to see some kind of results. Right. Yep. yep. And um, a good friend of ours, of Tom's and mine, is a man named Chuck Reinhold. And Chuck has impacted us big time. But I remember Chuck asking the question once. Um on D-Day, a bunch of people landed on Omaha Beach, but uh, there were people landing on beaches up and down Normandy at that time. And he said some of the people didn't get off the beachhead for almost 24 hours. Like they just, it was, uh, on Omaha, it was incredible. Whereas uh, just a few miles down, they went 20 miles inland in 24 hours. And he said, who were better soldiers? And everyone, some people said, well, the guys that went inland, he goes, you can't tell because you have no idea what opposition they faced. And I think in ministry, sometimes people slog away. And they if we if we spend our time comparing to each other, we're in trouble because some people uh, don't get off the beach, but yet they're facing huge opposition. Right. And it's hard. And ministry can be hard. Other people seem to have fruit and all kinds of great things right away but they're not facing the same opposition. So um, I think that it's just, it's very, it's, it was a very different time. Yeah. Mm. You can't, you can't compare times to try to uh, imitate something that happened in another era is kind of a fool's errand. The Holy spirit started all this, you know, the consistency is to pray and to lock arms with, with believers that really mean it. Um, and to see what the new thing is that the Lord's going to do. You know, there was another component way back then. In the summers, we would um, we'd go to Young Life camps, but before we went to camp, we would work for a couple of months, and the steel mills were hiring, and they paid well, and that gave us enough money to go back to college the next year. And a number of us worked in the same steel mill, and we, we, we committed 
to memorizing a verse a day together while we did our work. And remember the first verse, in, which was Romans 8, 18, uh, from the Phillips translation, in my opinion, whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future God has planned for us. That was a great verse when you're working in a dirty, you know, a filthy, hard work steel mill. And being, once again, being bound together with people and, and having that focus on God's word, boy, that was powerful. That was really powerful. And I remember seeing those guys, you know, you'd walk on the, on the University of Pittsburgh campus, and, and that was an incredibly depressing era because of all the things I mentioned, the war, and drugs, and racial tensions, and, and all kinds of stuff that was not going well in the culture. But when I remember I would see one of my brothers in Christ, and it was like a light bulb. I mean, it was just, there was so much joy. Somebody said that when you, when you're, if, if you're, if you go to a jewelry store, they, they place a diamond on a black background, black velvet background to highlight the beauty of it. And, and in a sense, the darker the times get, uh, it, it is a great opportunity for people who love Jesus. It's just, it just is. It's, 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 a, it's our time. This is our time to shine. That's great. Well, um, in our last few minutes, I'm just kind of curious, Tom, how many times do you, have you kept track of how many times you've spoken at a young life camp? Uh, no, <laughs> I haven't. Is it, is, it, is it like hundreds? Well, I, I have been at camp probably three and a half or four years of my life. Uh, in various rules, probably half of that, I guess, was speaking. Doing some yeah. Kind of so role. I'm curious if you have like a favorite memory, one or two favorite memories of like when you're speaking, because I'm sure you did a lot of speaking. Yep. Um, are there certain nights that like stood like you, that you just can never forget? Like, uh, what was that like? And do you remember what you were speaking on? That's a good really good question uh in general there is a night that is usually night five in a camp week and the first few nights are an introduction to the person of jesus to teenagers who don't know who he is and then and then there is a night when we will talk about sin that it's not all everything's not good. There's a, there are big problems in the world and it focuses on our broken relationship with Christ and you leave them there. And then on about the fifth night, you have a chance to pull it together around the, what did, what did Christ do for us? And it's called in the young life world, it's the cross talk, but it's, it's talking about the crucifix, the physical and the emotional and spiritual suffering of Jesus. And it, there's, there's no one night of those that I can remember, but it's a composite picture of, um, you know, the, the incredible privilege to stand in front of kids who don't know the truth and to have a chance to share as best you can using God's word, how much they are loved by God in the person of Christ. And that having experienced that dozens and dozens of times, that's, uh, that, that's like the greatest privilege I probably have ever had in my life. That's awesome. And then uh, that night, usually you send the kids out, right? To, to 
20 minutes. I recall to do business with God, at least that's yeah. what I remember. And, uh, and then you come back and then you invite people that have trusted Christ to stand up. And I'll never forget that night in my life. I mean, um, uh, you know, before that, the, the days before that, I knew that was coming. And I was like, I don't know if I'm, I have enough courage to stand up, you know, yeah. but then when I, once I, you know, did business with God, invited Christ in my life, it was the easiest thing to do. Like I wanted yeah. to do it. Like, I mean, it was like, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to do it. Yeah. Identify with Christ. And yeah. so Randy, well, do you have any other questions for Tom? Um, no, I mean, I've, I've been with Tom and I will just say this though. Um, Tom has just been a great example of someone who, um, is faithful no matter where he's placed. And, um, Tom served in Ohio, Tom served in the uh, European union in, in the UK. Uh, he's, he's been training staff in Indonesia and, uh, for people to share Christ, but, what I love is it's simple and it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so Tom, I just want to say thank you for uh, the impact you've had on my life and so many others, but uh, gosh, you know, thanks. I, I can't tell you thank you enough. So yeah, thanks. Thank you. This is great. Yeah. So Tom, could be there, better, right? <laughs> there could be people listening to this podcast who maybe aren't, aren't sure whether or not they're, uh followers of christ or not what would you what would you say to them um paul says if you confess with your lips that jesus is lord and believe in your heart god raised him the dead from the dead that you will be saved and um, it is not a matter of how we feel our feelings god gave us emotions but they're not the ultimate determiner uh, it's it's a matter of god's faithfulness if, if if you could think of the most reliable person you've ever known in your life, and for for me as a kid, it was my dad. You know, if he said he was going to be someplace, he was there. Uh, and God is infinitely more faithful than that person. And if he said he will come into your life, if if you've confessed and if you believe, he's there. And he is super glued. He will not leave. And you don't have to worry. That particular issue is a is a is finished. It's the finished work of Christ in your life. Now, it, there's a lifetime of growing in that relationship of knowing Him more deeply, and it it is glorious and challenging, and well, all kinds of things. But if you don't know whether you are in Christ or not. I, th I think it's as simple as that verse from Romans one. Mm. That's great. That's great. Um, well, uh, this is the gospel addict podcast and we believe the gospel is the best news ever. Um, I mean, when you, when you understand the gospel, when you understand what Jesus did for us on our behalf, in our place as our substitute, you know, paying for our sins Um and you just and you understand the love of God. I just don't understand how anybody can reject it. Yeah. Um, except for what you mentioned earlier, Randy, that somehow there's people have blinders on and they're they're just they're unable to see. And so um 
you shared some great reminders, the, how we need to prioritize prayer um, in our ministries, really praying uh, that God goes before us and that we're actually partnering with him in our ministries. Um, and he's the one who's removing those veils from people's eyes and hearts and, and stuff. Randy, any, any final comments you want to make? No, I, I don't think so. But I just think what a what a great thing for us to hear stories of uh, people that have gone before us. And, um, you know, uh, there's a great cloud of witnesses that the scripture talks about. And so often we kind of just isolate ourselves and what we're experiencing now. And whether it's in scripture or in our lives, there's people that have gone before us in the faith that have talked to us. And Tom's been that generation that handed the baton. I'm one of the ones he handed the baton to. And We've handed it to others, but um, I, I just think we need to hear stories of people of faith that have gone before us. So, yeah, thank you so much, Tom, for giving us your time. And uh, man, that, those are some awesome, awesome stories. And it's just so cool to uh, meet someone who stayed faithful to the Lord um, all these years. And we pray that you the Lord continues to bless your work and your ministry. Thanks for all that you do. And thank you to our listeners listening. This has been the Reflections on the Jesus Movement with Tom Hammond. Stay tuned for further episodes. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode and remember... On your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.